Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canter Podcast. Dr. Bruce Williams from the Weill Foot and Ankle Institute joins us today to talk a little bit more about ankle and foot health. Uh, I've been kind of on an ankle mobility kick lately, as a lot of people can tell. And one reason why I really wanted to bring him on, because in his, in his bio on the website, uh, he's quoted as saying, he identifies any biomechanical problems that may be a result of foot problems or are worsened by improper function elsewhere in the body. Um, and I've talked a lot about like the upstream, downstream kind of connection between joints, ligaments, muscles, tendons, all, all that kind of stuff. So I think Dr. Williams is going to bring a lot of light to the table and, and help us realize just how important foot health um, and mobility actually is. So Dr. Williams, I appreciate you joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit more, fill in some gaps about how you got involved in, in what you do and who you work with. Um, well, I was in, I've been in practice for about 25 years and I realized pretty quickly within about uh, six or seven years being in practice that I uh, wasn't happy with how my outcomes were going with uh, orthotics and how I was looking at things. So I kind of had to reeducate myself since I was already out of school and I continue to do that to this day. I'm always trying to learn uh, new techniques, new, new ways of looking at things, trying to read the latest literature that comes out so that I can, um, you know, continue to, to, to give the best outcomes to my patients. But um, over the time, as things evolved, I started realizing you had to look outside of the foot, you know, how much the foot and the ankle affected each other and affected the knee then affected the hip and also the low back. And just overall how people walk affect things up and down through the kinetic chain. Um, I um, always like working with, uh, with athletes. I was never a very good one myself, but um, <laughs> you know, just, uh, I, I have a, a, a natural um, predisposition for appreciating how athletes move and how, sure. whether it's, you know, specific to their sport or just specific uh, training and um, rehab uh, um, things that they may be doing, how that all applies, and very much so how it applies to their feet. And back in about the 1999 or 2000, when I was reinventing myself a little bit, I um, started using pressure mapping, which is uh, thin sensors that go on your shoes and it gives you feedback on what the foot's doing in certain movement patterns. Mostly we look at that with walking, but also um, uh, running slower and faster and some other movement patterns as well. But you can really see how, uh, what happens underneath the foot, um, echoes what's happening higher up at the knee, the hip. Um, if you're pronating more, uh, if one foot is a higher arch or if you're a super over super, you know, supernator or something like that, um, all of these things. And you can, uh, it took me a while, but, um, you can start to understand the patterns and see how they apply to helping patients get better, whether it's using um, core and, and uh, um, proximal 
exercises for your uh, glutes and things like that, or whether it's something that's got to be more related to what's going on with um, uh, from a foot orthotic. And basically, right now, a lot of the ways I look at it when I teach, uh, when I when I consult with professional teams and and uh, Big Ten teams and other uh, universities outside of the Big Ten, um, you know, I try to explain to them that to get the best out of things, if you want to, you know, therapists and trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, a lot of times don't understand or appreciate the foot as much as they should. And I try to explain to them in some simple terms how to look at it so that they can take the foot out of the equation and then go back to the things that they have as their strong suit, dealing with those proximal and central issues. And then quite often the combination of, the, of those ways of uh, uh, affecting their athletes will get the best possible outcome for them. Well, that's awesome. And that makes total sense too, just how that, you know, you mentioned the kinetic chain. Uh, so that kind of leads us into a little of the biomechanics. Why is foot and ankle health so important, not only for athletes, but just for the general, general population? Because like you said, you know, it's almost like an afterthought when it comes down to it. You know, you might get some people doing like a, the basic, like a calf raise, and that's the only kind of ankle mobility, stability, strengthening exercise that, that you get out of the foot sometimes. But um, what is the importance of that? Well, um, there are, besides the ankle joint, underneath that you have the subtalar joint, which is actually three joints, not, not just one. So you have a lot of joints in the foot. I mean, the primary ones are, that are most important are the ankle, the subtalar joint, and the metatarsophalangeal joints particularly the bunion joint or the big toe joint. And then there's some other smaller ones. Um, you have your mid-tarsal joint, which is in the midfoot area too. Um, so I'm not trying to confuse that to anybody too much, but there's a lot of movement that goes on the foot that people don't appreciate. Right. For, for the longest time and still to this day, papers will come out where the um, uh, PhDs and, uh, uh, will look at the, the foot as a singular block that only moves and, and you know it's just one block of wood that moves in only one way and it just it's it's infuriated me for for quite a long time because it just it doesn't work that way um, what happens at the foot can greatly affect the ankle joint if you pronate quite a bit and very quickly um, what can happen is that uh, it can uh, decrease your overall ankle joint range of motion. If you have a very high arched foot structure, uh, that can eat up ankle joint range of motion as well, And but it, it also creates a very stable foot structure in most instances, so your heel's gonna come off the ground early. Um, and these things can all affect your knee, but with the pronation, because the foot flattens, the lower leg continues to rotate, and this can create um, a lot of damage in certain joints above um, and within the foot and the ankle and all the way up to the knee and the hip. And what happens more often than not when people come in with foot pain is they've got it on one side more often than the other. A lot of times I help people with bilateral foot pain. It's not unheard of, but usually one side's worse than the other. And if you look at things, the feet are doing subtly different things at slightly different times when they shouldn't be. They should be doing almost exactly the same thing at the same time. And it's not to say that we're bunny hopping on this on two feet. We're moving from one foot where all of the motions should be working pretty closely the same and the same timing elements. And then you switch to your other foot and it should do exactly the same thing. 
So it's nice, gentle rocking of the boat back and forth and back and forth, as opposed to one foot not moving as quickly as the other, not helping you to propulse as well as the other. You know, we've all had um, short-term injuries uh, in our youth and as we've gotten older where, you know, you hurt your foot or your ankle and you, you can't really push up the stairs like you normally would. Right. You know, so things slow down on one side. So you lean and compensate on your opposite, uh, opposite leg that's still working well. And these are the things that happen. But for a lot of people, these things, once they occur, they don't ever go away completely, either because they weren't rehabbed appropriately, or even if they were, they got to a point where they didn't have swelling or so much pain anymore, and they just ignored it and continued to, to, uh, to muscle on through it. And then these problems worsened over time. Um, joint restrictions, I use a lot of manipulations in my practice. Um, uh, for different levels, especially the ankle and the metatarsophalangeal joints of the bunion joint um, and some of the other uh, joints in between. Um, those things are very important because if you have good mobility and you have good range of motion, it makes all the difference in the world. And what happens for a lot of people, especially the ankle joint, is while they're doing all these calf raises and they get great looking calves, their foot's in a, an extended position. They're standing on their toes all the time. And that's fine if you want to reach something on the top shelf. Right. If you want to walk or run effectively, you need range of motion where that leg rotates over the ankle while the foot's on the ground um, in, in a nice uniform pattern and, it's, and, and enough because there's a thing called eccentrics, which is you have uh, concentric uh, muscle strength, uh, muscle uh, stretch and eccentric stretch. The, Concentric is when you're lifting a, like a, with your forearm, you're list, lifting a, bi, a barbell towards your shoulder. The eccentric is as you're lowering it. And if you're lowering it really slowly, or maybe somebody's putting some extra weight on it, you're resisting. You don't want to let that weight down. Well, the same thing happens in your ankle. And when you get good range of motion, the opposite of a calf stretch, or I mean, I can't, you know, um, the calf exercises, when you get dorsiflexion at the ankle joint. Right. Get, Centric loading at your ankle, which means that the Achilles tendon stores some energy at that time. And then as you continue to walk forward, then you propulse or plantar flex late in stance, and that releases that energy so that the Achilles doesn't have to work as hard. And this is incredibly important for people who have chronic pain in their feet and in their ankles. If that's not identified that there's a blockage in there, then a lot you're not going to your chances of getting as successful outcome decrease significantly and that makes total sense too and and like you you mentioned the uh you know the, the moving in one direction i mm -hmm. think and just like every other muscle group I mean, you mentioned the biceps you know a lot of people focus on biceps without working anything uh behind them or just like uh somebody working a chest press and not doing a row or something i mean you kind of think of it in the same way where um granted those joints may not be as uh you know, in, intense as far as like all of the mechanics that are moving, but people don't think in those, in those kind of planes. And so I'm wondering how can you, how can a person measure and improve their ankle mobility uh, knowing that all ranges of motion are important? Because I, I focus when, and this is not with every single person, maybe it should be, but I do a lot of manual internal external rotation. Uh, you mentioned the, um, you know, the, the plantar and dorsiflexion, you do a lot of manipulation, uh, manual exercises for those. But for someone who really doesn't think too much about that, let's just say somebody training on their own, what are some things to consider? 
Well, you can, there's a, a test called the ankle joint lunge test, L-U-N-G-E, not lunch, like let's go to lunch. Right. Uh, trust me, when I dictate, that comes up that way almost every single time. <laughs> I probably would have put that in the show notes. <laughs> yes. But um, when you're doing that, essentially you're um, trying to touch your knee to the wall yep. um, while you keep the foot flat on the ground. And you measure your big toe, the distance of your big toe away from the wall. And um, if you can get uh, about seven or eight centimeters away from the wall, maybe even six, you're actually pretty flexible and you're doing an excellent job. This tests the, the tightness of the soleus primarily because when you do this, your knee's flexed. When your knee's extended, then that locks the, sol the gastric nemius in place. But when your knee's flexed, then it relies purely on the soleus. Those are the two muscles, two of the muscles that make up the Achilles tendon, um, uh, the primary ones. There's also a plantaris tendon, but it's, it's, it only causes problems in general. It doesn't seem to help in a lot of situations. It's just kind of one of those ancillary muscles that are there. But um, so, I mean, if you can get somebody to test, and you have to be pretty hard on yourself because I'm very hard on patients. The minute I start to see their fat pad unload from the ground, and you can definitely see that, that's when I tell them, you know, I'll give them one other shot, and then if I see it again, then I know then they're done. And in most instances, especially with professional athletes and basketball players, they can't get, they can't get um, more than two to three centimeters away from the wall. They're that tight. And these are big athletes, okay? So the numbers should, in actuality, be, be larger. Um, and, but they're because of what they do and the way that they jump and they don't do any stretching of those muscles. They don't tend to work on that very much. Most of them don't have good range of motion. They're afraid that that's going to decrease their jumping ability and the ability to do what they do, which I understand, but the literature doesn't prove, it proves differently. Um, but, you know, doing that, you got to make sure when you put your knee forward that it's not, um, and it goes straight, straight over your foot, you know, right. pronate or, or supinate, because there's lots of ways to cheat, especially if you pronate. If your knee cuts in, if it's your right knee, if it cuts in, when you pronate, then that throws everything off. Pronation is an easy way to fool others and your body into thinking that you have more range of motion in your ankle joint when you don't. That's why um, those people who have higher arched feet tend to get stress fracture issues, uh, both in their forefoot and also in their their lower legs because they don't have the ability to shock absorb as well within their subtalar joint and their ankle joint. So they pound quite often much more severely and much more quickly and for a prolonged length of time in those, uh, in those bones, whether it's the metatarsals or whether it's in their lower legs. Um, shock absorption tends, the more shock absorption you have, pronation is not a bad thing. We all pronate. It's the problem is how long do you pronate and how quickly can you uh, supinate back to what's considered normal to then push yourself forward. So it's an event of timing. It's position, but it's also timing. And that's one of the things I learned the most when I started doing pressure mapping. Is, um, you know, when they say timing is everything, nothing is truer with what I do in biomechanics and also with pressure mapping. Oh, interesting. So I want, to, I want to take it back to the lunge technique because I see that, you know, when somebody's doing just a basic body weight lunge, mm -hmm. you can tell a lot about not, not only um, ankle range of motion, but hip range of motion also. So it's kind of like that whole chain there, you know, we were talking about earlier. Is, is there anything related to like the front of the legs? We talked a lot about the back leg, like that uh, tibialis anterior and 
is there any kind of correlation to the front of yes. you know, what, what, what's below the knee joint? Cause I see what happens a lot of the time I see if what I like to see in a lunge is that, that nice 90 degree angle um, back knee bend, you know, just off the ground and that front leg, I like to see the ankle and the knee be relatively in line, the toe in front of the knee. But when they push off, I don't want to see a lot of front hip tilt. I don't want their chest to, to fall forward. And I definitely don't want them to necessarily push off of their toes. But a lot of the times people, I see that a lot. You know, they'll try to, they'll try to overcompensate and they'll push off the, the front foot of their toes. And I, I'm wondering if there's any kind of correlation to the front of the leg. Yeah, that usually means that they have an ankle joint restriction. Anytime okay. you're going to move your trunk forward to compensate for center of mass, yep. if you have them doing a, 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 a double leg squat, I mean, you can, you know, you, you see the, the compensations. If you can get your tush all the way down um, and your center of mass pretty much is a, is a straight line up from the starting position and down into the squat, mm-hmm. you've, got good range, you've got good ankle joint range of motion. You know, now what are you going to do to compensate if you don't? Well, first, you're probably going to externally rotate your legs, okay, and your feet. And that's, too, we know what that's going to allow you to do. It's going to allow you to pronate a little bit if you need to. It's also going to allow your knees to come in a little bit and do a valgus position if, if necessary. Although I know you guys are great at training people not to do that. But when they can't do that, they'll externally rotate a little bit more. The last thing they'll do, depending on how deep they're going to get into their squat, is a forward trunk lean. They're going to shift that center of mass forward, and instead of dropping their, their tush, what are they going to do? They throw it out backwards to balance things, but they have to do that because they can't get deep into their ankle joints. So when that happens, um, and you know whether you're using FMS or any other type of, of, of thing to check that, or you just know to do this intuitively um, you know, from, from your education, or just you know to do it anyway because of movement, you know, that's, that's a great opportunity for the athletes that have blockages to wear weightlifting shoes. Weightlifting shoes are fantastic. And the reason is because they help the athletes to do the, the, um, the strength moves absolutely correctly. You want them to be in alignment in as many places as possible. And some people will say, well, they're not going to be in the correct alignment for their ankle joint. It's like, well, okay. Is that so much to ask considering people have been wearing weightlifting shoes for long, long, long time since they've been doing uh, Olympic lifts and powerlifting and other things like that, you know, they realized fairly quickly to stabilize that center of mass and to take the, the pull off the posterior chain where most of us get tight is to move things slightly anterior by lifting that heel and it really causes a relaxation within the posterior chain. And it works really, really well. I hate it when I see people working in, in Vibram shoes or barefoot and things like that. If they, if they don't have the proper range of motion, right? If you have the proper range of motion and the proper structure to allow for it, you can do it almost whatever you want. Everybody has a breaking point, but if you don't have the proper range of motion, the proper stability, your breaking point is all is really, really low. If you're going to start to test things barefoot or, or in those minimalist shoes, you're better off to jack up your heel with the weightlifting shoes. And what you'll find is overall you'll probably get injured less. And in actuality, over time, by doing it that way, you'll start to be able to stretch your ankle more. I always find that when I do, um, I have an eccentric trainer. I have a a K-Box. I bought one for myself, and and I love it. And what I find is that when I use it, I get, my muscles get um, so much more flexible afterwards, so much more so than when I run, 
that I'm able to get a better stretch and it's created some changes for me, giving me some opportunities to, to actually increase my ankle joint range of motion. Uh, and I think that that will help too. And then if you want them to take off their weightlifting shoes after they've done their routines or, and then put on a, you know, a lower heel height and then go into their lunges across the room or across the floor, however you want to do it, I think what they'll find is they'll be able to get more range in their ankles and probably better position and it'll help them with their strength. Um, you know, mulligans are, which is a, an ankle joint lunge, is, is an excellent technique for increasing range of motion. I mean, you can use a TheraBand low mm -hmm. on the talus, yep. um, you know, whether you or higher uh, from a posterior aspect on the, on the tibia and fibula, whether it's, that one's a reverse lunge. The other, the other true mulligan is a forward lunge. That doesn't necessarily need any help, but you got to really make sure that TheraBand's low and not up high on the ankle joint. But they work. Uh, the literature has shown that they do give some help, but some people, it doesn't make any difference. It's just like some people need glasses. And a lot of times it's not so much because you, you, you know, they're not doing their exercises. There aren't that many eye exercises you can do. It's because of the shape of their bone structure in their face and in their skull. It's either they're either the, the, the orbit is not deep enough. Um, it's too shallow um, or it's, it's not tall enough. You know, it's a 3d thing. And the muscles are in there, but you know, though the where the, the the actual structural content of that orbit can affect how that eye works and the shape of the eye and how that will affect eyeglasses. Well, it's, it's exactly the same thing in the foot and the ankle. Some people are born with incredible God-given uh, uh, structure in their feet and their ankles. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, incredible genetics. And some people are not. And some people have the heart of a lion and they don't have as good of structure and they still succeed. And some people have both like, uh, probably Usain Bolt and they, you know, are just, uh, you know, they're, you know, and, uh, uh, any other athlete used to be Derek Rose, but not so much now, uh, but, uh, you know, and it all matters. The structure and the function go hand in hand. Uh, you know, it used to be a big thing of function. Um, uh, oh geez. Function follows, uh, now I'm getting my whole thing messed up, so I'm going to skip over that because I'm okay. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> form, form follows function. That's what it was. Yeah, they, they go back and forth, and one can be chicken, one can be egg. It all depends on how you're looking at. But from the way that I look at things, function follows form more often than not when you're dealing with biomechanics. Yeah, and actually, that's I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I my my slogan or my my tag I like to say is form plus function equals fitness. So yeah. that, that's, yeah, it's a hundred percent true. Um, I want to kind of circle back to, we talk, we're talking about the, the vagus and the valgus uh, movements and, you know, we, we got like a quote unquote knee knock and, and like the bowed leg, which is all part, can be part of either uh, training somebody uh, inefficiently. You know, you can teach somebody to, to do a squat wrong and they develop that pattern over time or they, or they just naturally have that um, like a bow leg or like a knee knock shape. And, one thing that I, I like to do to teach people not to go vagus or valgus is spend some time in a squat motion as deep as you can. Um, and, you know, whether that's, I mean, if you're starting out like on a, on a wall squat and kind of going down and really trying to um, strengthen, um, you know, the, the outer thigh or the inner thigh and, and keeping good posture with your knee joint and your ankle joint. But anyway, spending some time in a deep squat and kind of just moving around, I, I notice people number one, I noticed that they start feeling it more in their ankles than they do like in their quads or their, um, their hamstring or their, even their low back. 
And I think that that speaks volumes to, to whether or not they have good ankle um, health overall, you know, range of motion. And you can see a lot of people trying to make corrections by kind of moving their foot around before they even break form. You know, they'll, they'll try to, um, you know, rotate one way or the other and they move around a lot. And do you, do you recommend people spend uh, some time in squat? Like I'm talking about, you know, dropping your butt to the ground kind of squat, not just like a, a 90 degree squat like you see people do. I'm starting to more often. Um, I, mulligans have just been reinforced with me recently again. And, you know, it just, uh, they work, you know, they work, they're helpful, whatever it takes. And, and the more participation you can get from your patients or your athletes, um, the happier the coaches and the trainers and the therapists are to hear that from me because then they know they get the, the, the patients and the athletes a little bit more engaged. Not always, maybe easier for patients than athletes sometimes. It depends on the level of the <laughs> Sure. But, uh, um, you know, but it helps them to understand and then hopefully they'll do it. And, you know, everybody falls off the wagon and it's the, the biggest problem I have with um, rehab exercises and strengthening exercises. It's, I don't have a problem with them. I, they work. The problem is we all fall off the wagon. Okay. Whether it's me personally, you, or anybody else that, that you and I both work, you know, or anybody that's had an injury and supposed to do those things. You know, it's just like we break our diet at Christmas or any other time we feel like it. We break our, we break our exercise patterns when we stop doing those things. Um, the easier they are, the more effective they are, the more simple they are, the better chance we are to not have to break those patterns and find that we'll continue to do those because we know it makes a difference. It's just hard sometimes to find those things that are yeah people will continue to do that's a good point yeah because it, it i mean if i'm thinking of like my my athletes that are runners you know you get them into like a squatting position and it might not be um the most engaging and but if you if you put it into like um like a running perspective and really kind of try to educate also but yeah you're right it's got to be relatable to the person for sure yeah uh, that's you know number one across all boards safe and relatable and and then you can kind of work your way down so uh, so I think uh, I think one other thing that I really wanted to to just give some people some more context so they could actually maybe get some application out of it. Um, do you have like any specific just some basic um, exercises that you would prescribe for someone that is just getting started with you know paying attention to their ankle range of motion? Uh, you know it's, it's actually kind of visual, but I, I prefer a, um, a door what I call a doorway stretch. Okay. Where you can, you know, if you're fortunate, you've got the trim around the door, so you can kind of get your fingers on either side of the doorway, opposite of where the door hinges are. Um, I like people to lift their toes up as high as possible, and make sure that they put the foot on the door jam, um, at the very least, so that the big toe joint is flexed. Okay. So what happens is that engages the plantar fascia. And then the first stretch you'll have them do is with the knee fully extended. And that's for the gastrocnemius. So you lift up your back heel, the non-stretch heel, and you pull yourself in nice and tall at your trunk with that, with that knee fully extended, the one that you're stretching on as far as you can until you feel that pull in the back of your uh, Achilles. And you hold that for about, you know, 20 to 30 seconds. And then you go back. And then the second time on the same leg, now you flex your knee forward. So this time you keep your back leg flat flex your knee forward, drop your tush, try to bring that knee in towards the wall. 
and that's going to help to stretch your soleus. Okay. Those are the two exercises that I teach every single day when I'm in clinic so that I can help my patients uh, and athletes get to where they need to. Um, once, they've, once they've got that as a basic, then we'll try to move them up to the mulligans and, you know, uh, the second or third visits, things like that. Or if I don't have, if I don't have as much time and I'm, a trainer's brought an athlete in, I'll tell them and they know what to do. We'll give them handouts, anything like that. But you can look up mulligans online. It's basically a lunge. It's just got a little bit of a change to it. But those two stretches that I explained to you, both with the knee straight, the knee extended, all, always with the big toe, with the big, with the toe joints flexed, mainly the big toe joint that stabilizes the plantar fascia, stabilizes the foot. So it focuses all the stretch on the Achilles. Cause if you do it in a different way, I don't like people stretching barefoot on a, on a step hanging down because what that will do is that dorsiflexes the first metatarsal that mm-hmm. un- completely unstabilizes the medial column and, the, and the, the central column of the foot because the plantar fascia is not in, the, in a tight position where it should be. It's in a tight position where it shouldn't be. And then that can allow you to pronate internally rotate. And it takes away from the full stretch and the increase in range of motion at the ankle because you're pronating. You pronate at that subtalar joint, you're going to cheat at the ankle joint. So this stretch that I explained to you should do the opposite. It should take, uh, you know, maximize, uh, stop the motion at the subtalar joint by maximizing that stiffness of the medial column and I'll focus everything on the ankle joint to try and increase that dorsiflexion range of motion. So you mentioned 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many sets, um, a couple times a day, once a day, what do you recommend? Uh, four to five times a day and I, you know, 30 seconds, but you can do 30 seconds to 60 seconds and do it um, each foot. So that's, you know, you're going to do, you know, that's each stretch. So you're talking anywhere from two to four minutes on those stretches. Okay. And then you're going to do three or four times a day. Okay, perfect. Awesome. So if anybody else has any questions, comments, concerns, where is the best place to reach you? Um, well, you can go to while4feet.com, W-E-I-L, the number four feet.com. And you can find me under the doctors. Um, you can find me on Twitter at docorange1. Um, just the at sign doc orange one. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn, essentially the same way. If you look for me under Bruce Williams or doc orange one, and then, uh, my personal website is www.breakthroughsportsperformance.com. And that's where I do private consulting for teams and athletes. And I also do consulting for other business to business uh, relationships. Awesome. 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 Well, I hope people do get a hold of you because I think it's super important that we learn more about what's going on below all of the major muscle groups that people focus on. So, uh, Dr. Williams, I appreciate your time and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.